0: Network.
1: The content and products discussed in this program have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, nor are they intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Any decisions made around your health should be discussed with your health practitioner. Welcome to Body Talk Radio. I'm your host, Heather Morgan, health and human potential master coach and edutainment curator. I started Body Talk over a decade ago in order to achieve my mission of educating and inspiring millions to a healthier way of living. Body Talk Radio is more than just a radio show. It's your gateway to information and education relevant to today's most important health topics delivered by top thought leaders, influencers, and world changers in the health and human potential space. If you love great health talk, listen in and join the community. Get educated, get inspired, and become a healthier you. everyone. You are listening to Body Talk Radio. I'm Heather Morgan, nutrition, healthy living coach, and uh, this is the first part, or actually part two of our 10-part series on weight loss, and I'm so excited today. I have Dr. Darren Ingalls joining me today. We're going to talk about how food allergies, food intolerances, uh, and also stealth diseases, viruses can prohibit weight loss and also cause weight gain. Uh, So Dr. Darren Is going to be calling in in just a few minutes, but I wanted to remind everybody if you want to hear this entire series, just go on over to bodytalkradio.com. Go over to my website, you can sign up for the podcast. And uh, throughout the fall, this will take us all the way into December. Each week, we'll have a different expert talking about weight loss resistance, the different things that could be causing your weight loss resistance, why you're carrying excess body fat, lots of reasons for weight loss resistance and lots of reasons why you may not be able to lose weight that you've never thought about. So weight loss is not just about exercising and uh, and, and limiting your calories. There's so, so much more goes into the reasons why our body wants to store fat and um, doesn't want to burn fat. And becomes resistant to burning fat. So again, this is going um, to be part of our 10-part series. I'm so glad that you're joining me here. And um, Dr. Darren Ingalls is, will be calling us shortly. And we're going to be talking about food allergies and food intolerances. So l- make sure that you stick around because think about the foods that you're eating. The foods that you eat on a daily basis. Those are the foods that are probably and likely could be foods that your body doesn't do very well on. If you're eating foods, and usually, hint, 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 these are the foods that we crave most often. Um, Those are the foods that actually can, uh, we can be intolerant to. So we're going to go over here and grab uh, Dr. Darren and hear what he has to say about it. Hi, Dr. Darren. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, wonderful. So I'm so glad that you joined me today, and I've really been looking forward to our interview together. I just let the audience know that um, you are part of a 10-part series that we're doing on weight loss resistance here on Body Talk, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have your expertise here today because one of the things that I talk about so often is the fact that food allergies, food sensitivities, eating foods that we're intolerant to can actually prohibit us from losing weight. And I'm so excited to do a deep dive into that with you today. So thanks for being
0: on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Hey, before we get started, uh, Dr. Darren Ingalls, can you just uh, give us a little bit of an overview of, of, you know, what you do? Maybe uh, give us your website, kind of tell us uh, how our listeners, you know, our listeners love to um, follow health professionals and learn from health professionals. So I want to make sure everybody has your information.
0: Sure. Uh, well, I'm Darren Ingalls. I'm a naturopathic physician in the state of Connecticut and a licensed naturopathic doctor in the state of California, so I actually split my time between the two coasts.
1: Great. And uh,
0: our website is uh, DarrenIngallsND.com, that's And as in Nancy and people are welcome to follow us on Facebook, they can sign up for our email list. I've actually got a great immune-boosting recipe book that people can download for free when they sign up uh, to receive our newsletter. So we've got some really great information about diet, nutrition, and other uh, naturopathic therapies that we love to share with people. So please follow us, and we'll be happy to share that with you.
1: Fantastic. We're so so glad to have you as a resource in our community. Uh, we interview so many health experts here and I was really uh, really excited when I when I looked at your, you know, all of your information and the great work that you're doing and I just thought it'd be so great to have you on the show here to share some of your expertise on weight loss resistance and weight loss intolerance. So I know that you have had experience with this. Can you just kind of let us know, we're going to talk specifically about food allergies and food intolerances. Can you just tell the listeners, let's tell them what it is, and then we can uh, sort of talk a little bit more about when you're eating those foods, why, it, why it's difficult to lose weight.
0: Sure. You know, I think the most important thing that people understand is the differences between these different kind of reactions you can have when you eat food And I think this creates a lot of confusion out there in the community. And certainly if you're having this discussion with your doctor or healthcare practitioner, you know, these terms sometimes get used interchangeably, but they really mean different things. So I think the term we tend to use most often is food allergy. And really by definition, food allergy defines that reaction that happens when you eat a food and something happens very quickly. So for example, if you eat a peanut and within minutes your face swells and you can't breathe and you're wheezing, you know, that's a food allergy. You know, that's a legitimate, potentially life-threatening reaction that happens in the, within the course of literally minutes of ingesting. A sure,
1: food. exactly.
0: Fortunately, you know, fortunately, that's not what most people experience. You know, mm-hmm. these are actually relatively rare. However, they are very serious and can be life-threatening, so mm-hmm. we take them very seriously. Of course. I think the more common food reactions that people are dealing with probably fall into one of two other categories. The first one is food intolerance. And food intolerance really defines uh, an enzyme problem. So, for example, someone who's lactose intolerant or gluten intolerant, mm-hmm. in the case of lactose intolerance, it's the inability to break down the sugar that's in dairy products, or in the case of gluten, it's a specific protein found in wheat mm-hmm. and uh, rye and barley and so forth. So these really are genetic issues that, you know, you were born with this. And really? you just don't make enough of the right enzymes to break these substances down. So it's the incomplete digestion of these molecules that really creates the symptoms. But people associate it as being a, a food reaction, of course, because they eat the food, they get gas and bloating and bowel changes, and they feel it often fairly quickly. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it's not primarily an immune mechanism. It's primarily a digestive mechanism. So Interesting. that's really what a food intolerance is. Uh, and I'd say probably even the more common reaction is the third category of really what we call food sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And food sensitivity can really best be defined as a reaction that occurs uh, long after you had the food. And Mm -hmm. that could be hours, actually even up to to days. Days. Mm -hmm. Some of the research suggests it can take up to three days before your body actually reacts once you've ingested that food. Hmm. And what makes it really challenging for people is that because it's such a long time away from when you ate the food, you don't associate that food of actually being the causative agent of whatever tends to ail you. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, have a stomach ache or some bowel changes, and I said, okay, write down everything you've eaten over a three-day period, what is it? You know, (laughs) you and I would both be very hard-pressed to try and figure out what that is. Exactly. So, you know, these food sensitivities have really kind of been brushed off by the conventional medical community as really being non-existent. That's true. I think in Mm the United States, you know, we talk about food allergy just because they're so serious, but these delayed reactions to food uh, have virtually been ignored uh, in this country. And I think it's interesting, you know, when you look at European journals and places outside the United States, you'll read a lot more about these kind of reactions and at least the recognition that they do exist Uh, But a lot of the work that I've done in my practice is really focused on helping people identify, you know, their food intolerances, food sensitivities, just because they're not those obvious glaring reactions that happen like a true food allergy.
1: Okay, great. So, and, and we do talk about those on the show a lot. For some clarification, with the sensitivities, is that, would that be an immune system reaction so this what's at the, the root of the sensitivity so we have a delayed reaction where maybe somebody eats eggs and gets a headache a few hours later but they don't really associate it with those are the eggs I had this morning is is, is that the immune system reacting or what is that or is it the the molecules getting into the bloodstream
0: yeah there definitely is an immune reaction but you know our immune system is very complex and there's different parts of the immune system that engage in different ways so in the case of a true food allergy, that involves an immune molecule called IgE, immunoglobulin E. Mm -hmm. That's the molecule that reacts very quickly. These delayed sensitivities probably fall into one of two immune mechanisms. Uh, One is it can involve a different immunoglobulin or antibody called IgG, Uh, but probably more commonly in that is what's called T-cell mediated. So uh, if anyone's ever had a TB test where they inject this little protein in your forearm and they said, okay, come back in two days and we're going to read it. The reason you come back in two days is that it's a, it's a delayed T cell reaction. T cells are part of your immune system that infight, fight infection. They also help regulate immune function. But there's a part of that mechanism that can react to food. But again, that's where it can be hours to days after the fact. So, you know, the research on it's pretty uh, murky, uh, but uh, based on the kind of reactions I've seen with patients clinically, it seems to make sense that what a lot of people tend to be experiencing is probably this delayed T cell reaction. So mm-hmm. there's definitely an immune mechanism involved. It's just a different mechanism okay. that we typically think with regular allergy.
1: Okay, makes sense. So, Doctor Dr. Darren, is it how common is this?
0: Uh, I would say extremely common. Uh, mm-hmm. In my practice, uh, I would say. More than 80% of people I see uh, are experiencing some element of food sensitivity or food intolerance. Agree. Now, granted, I'm seeing, you know, people who have issues. You know, we don't generally have healthy people come off the street. So Good point. So a little bit skewed. But I, I think it's extremely common, and I work with a lot of children in my practice. And so, you know, we'll see these signs of food sensitivity or food intolerances often very early in life. You know, these are the infants that constantly spit up beyond the norm, get reflux. You know, I I know a lot of pediatricians will tend to say, oh, you know, that's pretty normal for children, but I I don't think it is because there's plenty of children out there that don't have this. So I think we'll see sometimes these early signs of having food reactions in infancy. And of course, as children get older, then they start experiencing more ear infections and bronchitis and sinus infections and and problems and Mm -hmm. constipation, diarrhea and eczema and asthma and runny nose. And all of these really become different physical symptoms of really this underlying food sensitivity. Okay, and often so when we address it, you know, these symptoms improve.
1: Interesting. Okay, so yeah, let's 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 talk about that a little bit more because I agree. I agree. In in my own practice as a holistic nutritionist, I, I really have about the same experience. I do believe that you know most people have some sort of food sensitivity going on, and and we'll talk about what to do about that. But I wanna I want to. Talk a little bit more about this, the symptoms. So, you know, we have our small children, and, and, and you mentioned just a few of those symptoms. But can you go, go over the symptoms again? What would people be looking for or experiencing if they have food sensitivities?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing we see tend to rely or tend to revolve around gut symptoms. So it can yes. be gas. It can be bloating. People who complain that they always feel like they're, you know, six months pregnant. Uh, we can see, you know, alternating constipation, diarrhea, really what they call irritable bowel syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can see uh, abdominal pain. Uh, beyond the gut, we tend to see a lot of other symptoms, uh, skin issues, specifically in children, tend to be very common with food sensitivities. Eczema I see very, very often related to food sensitivities. Agree. Again, in children who get chronic infection you know, the nature of having an infection is that there's some element of fluid that's there first, and that provides the right breeding ground Mm -hmm. for, you know, these infections to take root. So often when there's some kind of food reaction, that creates fluid in the ears, fluids in the throat, fluid in the lungs, and that's where we start seeing these persistent infections. So anyone who complains that they always get sick, pick up every bug that comes along, uh, that can certainly be a sign of some kind of food sensitivity uh, joint pain is people get a little bit older. Uh, for myself, I used to experience terrible knee pain as, a, as an adolescent Yes, and found out many years later. I mean, I had three knee surgeries by the time I was 17 years old.
1: Interesting.
0: And, uh, but I drank a gallon of milk a day because that's mm. you know, was the poor food group. Of course. <laughs> so, of course. Uh, realizing years later that I had a dairy uh, sensitivity and when I eliminated dairy, my joint pain went away completely. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, wow. joints and muscle aches tend to be very common, I think, in adults. I'm so glad you uh, said we'll that
1: because it's yeah, so and true. And we're
0: going see more, you know, mood changes. I see a lot of uh, both adults and children that suffer from depression, mood changes. Yes. Mood disturbances, lots and lots of neurological effects. Yes. Too. Activities. Okay, Dr. And Darren,
1: I'm so glad that you're touching you you're touching on these because these are absolutely things that people would not associate with. You know, they might consider once in a while, well, maybe it's something I'm eating, but but you know, these neurological issues, like you said, the joint pains. You wake up in the morning, you can't walk across the room because your feet just hurt so badly. The feet pain, the hands, all of this is is can and and is very often linked to food sensitivities and things that that people are eating so I'm so glad that you mentioned that
0: Yeah and it's just I think it's out of people's awareness that uh, I feel depressed, I feel tired all the time. Yes. It just doesn't link with people that it's related to something they're eating. And if you know, if you're like most people, we tend to eat the same foods over and over and over. Absolutely. So that, that perpetual cycle of, you know, what's going on immunologically in the reaction to food It mm-hmm. just keeps staying there and we never quite break that cycle and therefore the symptoms persist on and on and on.
1: In so, fact, I, in fact is know. it in your experience uh, in your practice that people actually crave the foods that they're sensitive to?
0: Yeah, you know, the irony is well, I see it really in, in one of two directions. Either mm-hmm. people tend to crave the food or they can't stand it. We ah. tend to see these polar extremes to their food sensitivities Yes. I would argue perhaps in my children, I see more of the craving and as they get mm-hmm. a little older, we'll see more of the polar opposites. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's very interesting and I sort of equated a little bit to drug addiction.
1: Yeah, I no, absolutely. It's a
0: similar mechanism that your brain craves the opiate
1: response. Yeah,
0: exactly. And mm-hmm. when you eat it, you, you feel good temporarily, but then you get the downstream effect of what that food is doing to your body. And then you see all the negative effects. But, uh, yeah, you know, you can almost tell what people are sensitive to just by their food cravings. <laughs> so, without yeah. doing more detailed testing, I just ask people, "Hey, what do you crave?" And it correlates pretty strongly when we actually do more comprehensive testing of what actually shows up.
1: Interesting, and I could not agree more. And I'm so glad, and I really want to hammer this home to our listeners that depression and anxiety is can can be so linked to the foods that we're eating and how the bot, and how, like you said, how the system is responding. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you're, if you're experiencing any of the things that Dr. Darren is talking about today, um, you know, mood swings, you know, extreme fatigue, achy joints, skin rashes. Um, if your children are experiencing skin rashes or, or Dr. Darren, how about the red circles under the eyes for kids?
0: Yeah, some of the physical symptoms that you'll see with, uh, well, mostly in children that have some kind of food reaction, the dark circle under the eyes, and I hear from parents all the time, oh, my child just doesn't sleep enough. It almost never has anything to do with sleep. <laughs> you know, it's it usually right. something they're eating. You'll also see these very fine lines under that lower lid. We call them Denny's lines. That's another sign of food reaction. The other thing I've seen a lot in children is when they get red cheeks or red ears after they eat or dilated pupils. That's a really telltale physical sign that there's some kind of food reaction. And the old way you would check is uh, it was called heart rate variability. Your pulse would go up after you ate a food that you're sensitive to. Because of some of the chemical reaction that's happening uh, in your body, you know, if someone's normal resting pulse is 60 and all of a sudden they eat a food and it goes up to 80 or 90, mm-hmm. you know, that's another physical sign. So, again, Amazing. kind of a down, down and dirty way to figure out if there's at least something that's affecting you. If you check your pulse before and after you eat and you see this big increase in your heart rate, uh, again, that can be a physical sign that you're reacting at least to something.
1: Incredible well, this is all such great information, and we actually have to go to break so Dr. Darren, if you don't mind just hold tight you can hear just about uh, ten to fifteen seconds of silence. I will be right back on to uh, to continue our conversation everyone you are listening to dr. Darren Ingalls today he's a health and wellness expert and we're talking about food allergies food sensitivities in relation to weight gain and weight loss and weight loss resistance in particular as part of our weight loss series so everyone hang tight, you're listening to Body Talk Radio I'm Heather Morgan, remember you can find us at our website BodyTalkRadio.com or on Facebook, Body Talk Radio and um, we'll be right back with Dr. Darren Ingalls shortly so everyone just uh, hang tight and we'll be back
0: KSVY Sonoma
1: and we are back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is Body Talk Radio. I'm Heather Morgan, nutrition, healthy living coach, joined today by Dr. Darren Ingalls, wellness expert and author of the upcoming book, uh, The Lime Solution. So, uh, Dr. Dr. Ingalls, I know today our topic is is primarily about food allergies and food sensitivities and how that affects um Weight loss, re, weight loss, and and contir- contributes to weight loss resistance. But I also want to hear a little bit, if you don't mind, uh, uh, before we end our end our conversation today, about how stealth and and in, uh, in, in, you know infections, um, you know stealth viral and bacterial infections can also contribute to weight loss resistance. Um, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that. So um, I want everyone to stay tuned so we can continue this conversation, uh, Doctor Darren. Before we took the break, we were talking about what what are food allergies, what are food intolerances, and what are food sensitivities. You did a great job of breaking it down, what those signs and symptoms might be. Um I want to just back up just for a moment before we head into talking about weight loss resistance, Um, the food intolerance piece of it. So you talked about food intolerances and said, really, it's not necessarily the food. It's the body lacking a certain enzyme, the enzymes that break down the food. So then we have all these symptoms. So would that mean then if people can take digestive enzymes that help help in that arena?
0: Uh, they can. You know, certainly for lactose intolerance, you know, there are uh, enzymes out there. In that case, it's a deficiency of an enzyme called lactase. There are several companies that make a lactase enzyme that you can take while you eat a dairy product, and that replaces what your body's not making, and that will usually alleviate, you know, the symptoms that would normally occur after you've had a dairy product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've found with, uh, with with lactose intolerance that works pretty well. With gluten intolerance, uh, it's been kind of a mixed bag, and I think it just speaks that there's really a gradation of sort of how severe gluten intolerance can be for people. You can have the one extreme of celiac, in which case digestive enzymes really don't help at all, and you have other people that have very mild gluten intolerance, in which case the digestive enzymes actually work really, really well. There's actually a very specific enzyme called DPP4. Uh, that can break down both casein and gluten because they're very similar molecules.
1: Exactly. Uh, so for
0: people who have you know, mild to moderate gluten intolerance, mm-hmm. I find if they take those enzymes when they have you know, gluten, they, they feel pretty good.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I agree.
0: Yeah. If you're a celiac patient, unfortunately, the, in, the intolerance is so bad that even with the enzymes, it just can't offset that. No. Actually, people feel horrible. So
1: agree.
0: Gluten-free diets kind of where they get stuck.
1: I agree. And, you know, I've had customers, I've had, you know, listeners call in and send me questions because I get a lot of questions through the website. And I've had questions about celiac and gluten intolerance and what to do about it. I I am a fan and I do recommend... S- different types of digestive enzymes for different types of food intolerances and have seen people have pretty good success. But the message always is the foods need to be avoided. And in some cases when, you know, we're looking at a gut permeability issue and times where the gut is just not thriving and needs some repair, you know, and tell me how you feel about this, Dr. Darren, but um, in cases where people's guts can really be addressed and then over time Even with the digestive enzymes, the foods might be able to be introduced back in, but more on a rotation basis. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, in my practice, you know, we really work toward desensitizing people against their specific food sensitivities. So, in our practice, we do a lot with what's called sublingual immunotherapy. So, it's a way of directly altering that immune response Mm -hmm. to the food. So, over a period of several months, uh, we can usually get people back eating the food on a rotation basis without having any kind of adverse effect. Uh, So it's a little bit different than I think other practitioners might just do a a period of food elimination, reintroduce it and stand a rotation. I used to do that early in my practice, and I I got a little frustrated that I found a lot of people started redeveloping their sensitivities. So Uh, I started looking at other therapies that really directly uh, affected the immune system. So the concept's a little bit like allergy shots.
1: Uh, We just don't inject it. These are drops that can go
0: underneath the tongue. So uh, any environmental medicine doctor out there knows how to do this technique. It's pretty straightforward, uh, but it is a way of really inducing a permanent change in the immune system so that people can become more tolerant to these foods again.
1: It's actually great. I've, I, I know other naturopathic physicians who do the same, and it's, it really is very, very effective. And in a town like Sonoma, where we are, um, there are you know lots of chemicals sprayed in our environment, but our seasonal allergies here are just off the charts, off the charts. There's a lot, yep. you know, lots of, yes, yeah, <laughs> so uh, you may know. And so we do have a, a local naturopath here that uses the same approach very, very effectively, so it's good to hear that, that um, you're having success with it as well.
0: Well, you know, when we talk about allergy, I know we're specifically talking about foods today, but it really is a function of the total load on the body. You know, we use the concept in environmental medicine that we're all born with a barrel, but some people have a big barrel and some people have a shot glass. But when the barrel overflows, you know, you become symptomatic. So it really is the cumulative effect of, you know, food allergies, environmental allergies like mold or pollen or dust, chemical exposure and chemical sensitivity. So, you know, we're always kind of looking at the total person, the total picture. It's just I think food provides that foundational thing. And, of course, environmental things will change as the season changes, as your exposure changes. But food is probably a much more constant in people's lives than some of the other environmental factors.
1: Yes, that's so great. Thank you so much for clarifying that. So so we've done a deep dive into what are food sensitivities, food intolerances, and food allergies and the differences, which is great, along with the symptoms. So now I want to talk a little bit about weight loss resistance. And this is our weight loss series. So I want to hear uh, you know, what happens through people who are eating foods that they are intolerant or sensitive to. How does this affect their ability to lose weight?
0: Yeah, so you know, it, it's really interesting that it, 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 it's really multiple things that are kind of happening simultaneously that lead to uh, weight loss, or I'll even go even more specific and say fat loss resistance. And yes. what we know happens when people start eating foods that they're, you know, sensitive or intolerant to is, uh, particularly if there's already an existing leaky gut situation, mm-hmm. it really creates inflammation at the gut level. And a lot of these inflammatory molecules actually start interfering with your normal metabolism, and that's what actually causes insulin resistance. So we know as you become more insulin resistant, that means, you know, your body has a hard time metabolizing sugar. That itself can lead to weight gain, fatty liver, uh, and other kinds of health issues. In turn, it's also interfering with your normal microbiome. So, you know, these are all the normal bacteria that live in your gut. And I think what we're finding in some of the new research is that your microbiome is really critical to a lot of chronic health issues, you know, beyond what happens in the gut.
1: Absolutely. So
0: there's, uh, there's a, a, a specific substance that certain bacteria, some of the bad bacteria can make called LPS. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's I... lipopolysaccharide and a lot of the bacteria in your gut, when they start to overgrow, mm-hmm. can produce this toxin. That toxin itself can directly damage the gut but it alter, also alters this inflammatory response in the gut itself. So it literally, think of it as a light switch. When you flip that switch on, your gut's becoming more toxic, more leaky. It's stimulating the immune system to be more active, which is not a good thing. Right. Now that's leading to more inflammation. So you've kind of got these two processes going on at the same time where the inflammation's starting to grow. It's now interfering with some of your your chemistry You know specifically with serotonin you know serotonin we always think of being a brain chemical but it's actually a bigger gut chemical
1: that's right
0: and so as your body starts you know changing the the serotonin and dopamine and some of these other chemicals chemicals in the gut it's ultimately affecting the brain and what that translates to is your eating cycle so part of the process Ah. is now you're you're becoming more insulin resistant you're gaining weight or certainly you're not able to lose weight But now something's flipped a switch in your brain that you want to start craving the wrong foods, uh, specifically more carbohydrates and simple sugars, and in most cases, people start eating more. So the net effect is that there's more calories coming in, your body has lost this ability really to regulate your metabolism and lose weight, and again, you end up with this, you're banging your head against the wall trying to lose the weight, and it's just not happening
1: that was a really really great explanation of it um really important so basically there's this underlying inf- inflammatory thing that's happening when we're eating these foods the gut gets affected and this inflammation happens and remind me again so you mentioned that this inflammation is happening which can lead to insulin resistance and that's where people you know get all this the belly fat and when they're not managing their insulin and blood sugar as well so What's the connection there with the inflammation and the insulin resistance?
0: Well, the connection is that the inflammation itself is what leads to the insulin resistance. You okay. know, we, we don't really know what the exact mechanism is of why that happens, but when they look at some of the rat studies out there, in fact, the way you make a rat fat <laughs> is you actually can inject them with this LPS, this lipopolysaccharide, and they find very quickly that their inflammatory markers go up. Uh, Interesting. They get... They get belly fat, you know, mice belly fat, they get fatty liver and they become insulin resistant. So uh, there's something in this mechanism that as these inflammatory markers are going up, uh, somehow it's altering, you know, something at the cellular level and how it responds to the effect of insulin
1: amazing so you mentioned also bacteria in the gut and this lps in relation to bad bacteria how is that happening um obviously that we're eating these foods causing the inflammation but it's also affecting the microbiota you mentioned so which is just our you know our, our good our balance of good and bad bacteria in the gut can you talk a little bit about that
0: Sure. You know, I think uh, living in modern society, we have a lot of external factors that are influencing this. Of course, antibiotics would arguably be the most common reason that people get a disruption in their normal microbiota. You know, you can't kill the bad stuff without killing the good stuff. That's just the way it works. That's correct. So, you know, when you get that... You know, 5 days Z-Pack for a sinus infection. Yes, it clears up your sinuses, but you forget that it's taking a toll on your gut. On your good you know, bacteria. Your gut of trillions of microbes uh, made up of over 500 different species. And, again, the antibiotics aren't selective. They're going to go after everything. So antibiotics are definitely number one. Number two, I would argue, is a lot of the chemicals that are in food. You know, our, yes, our I agree. Is, our gut is designed to handle, you know, food as it is in whole. But we've done so much with, like you said, chemical sprays, pesticides, mm-hmm. herbicides. You know, we now know, especially in California, that Roundup is pretty much in every food, even the organic food.
1: That's right. Uh, which
0: is a very toxic, you know, chemical. It's a weed killer. Mm. Um, so the chemicals in food, I think, have really altered our microbiota. And even things Absolutely. like Absolutely. You know, stress, I, I, I can't uh, say enough about how much stress affects the gut just because you now we have more nerve endings in our gut than we do our brain, and so when we get stressed, that alters the way things move through our gut, and right. if that changes that, that transit time. You know that can again promote more inflammation, and then the downstream effect of that is again uh, more you know uh, effect on your weight and insulin resistance. So thank you for that. It reminder. really is a combination of things. It's the physical effects. It's the sort of the psychological effects. We even know that sleep. People who don't sleep well. Can get alterations in their microbiota. And so.
1: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And it all does. And, and the, all the things you're mentioning do contribute to weight loss resistance. They're all sort of interconnected or very much interconnected. And and in our future shows that are coming up, we do have an expert coming on to talk about how stress affects our, our inability to lose weight, as well as we have an expert coming on to talk about sleep. So this is all incredible, incredible information. But I will say there are probably most of our listeners out there didn't realize how eating foods that they're Body is intolerant to or sensitive to are preventing them from losing weight. In fact, creating more fat mass, and 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 then they go out and exercise or whatever. Wonder why they're just carrying this excess, um, this excess fat mass. So. This is super helpful, and before we have to go to our next break, I'm wondering, now that we've sort of explained what's going on when we're eating foods that we're sensitive to, um, and we did talk about some of the symptoms, let's talk a little bit about what we can do to sort of reverse that and create some sensitivity for some fat burning.
0: Sure. So, you know, I think first and foremost is you you want to figure out what the foods are that bother you, and uh, there's a lot of different ways that this can be done you know the cheap easy way that anybody can do at home is a very simple elimination diet and yes. uh, and ele- there there are many variations of an elimination diet but basically uh, you kind of tick off the top you know 10 or 12 foods that tend to be the most allergenic you pull them out of your diet for 2 to 3 weeks see how you feel and then you slowly introduce one food back every 3 or 4 days and you just look to see how you feel based on your symptoms so you know, it's a very, again, inexpensive, pretty easy way to try and pinpoint, Mm -hmm. you know, which foods might be most problematic. And there's certainly, you can go to the web. There's a lot of great resources about what are the, you know, the top, top foods that people tend to be allergic to. That was my Uh, next
1: question for you, Dr. Darren.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, things like, you know, corn, wheat, dairy, Dairy. soy, eggs. You just nailed it.
1: You just nailed the top Uh, five.
0: Yeah, you know, those are the ones that are the biggies. And if there's something, again, that you crave, I always advise people take those foods, put those on your list. You know, if you're craving them, there's a good chance you're sensitive to it. So go ahead and pull those out. And if you just start with that, you know, I like to do a uh, three-week time period of pulling the food out. I think it really gives the gut a chance to heal from those foods. And then when you reintroduce them back, you have a better chance of being able to identify that a food's bothering you. So, again, a very simple, easy way. You know, sometimes I find people do have other foods that bother them that may not be on that top five or even top Mm ten list. But if they eat Mm -hmm. enough of it, it can be problematic. So sometimes we have to do it a second time or we'll get into more advanced kinds of testing methods to pinpoint what's bothering them. But, again, I like the elimination diet just because, you know, you don't necessarily need a healthcare practitioner to do it. And it's a very simple, easy way. And really, it is the gold standard mm-hmm. of how you identify food reactions. So. It
1: really is. I mean, it doesn't lie. when you're you know when your gut swelling and belly goes down and you're you're not as constipated or having the diarrhea symptoms, and you know y- you're feeling so much better, what better way to know if 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 it's it's a plan of action or not?
0: Yeah, there's nothing more powerful than having that experience. I mean, you know, I can do different types of testing and tell you your senses to a food, and you ask me, well, how sensitive am I? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, no testing on the planet is going to tell you how much that food bothers you. But when you do the elimination and then reintroduction, now you really have a good sense about how that food is affecting you. And again, that can be really, really powerful.
1: Super powerful. I think that's fantastic. So let's list the, the five top foods that people are most sensitive to. And you recommend that's where people start if they're doing an elimination diet. Do they start one at a time? Do them all five at the same time or test each one so they can really understand which one it is?
0: Yeah, I I think it's much easier to go ahead and eliminate those top foods all at the same time. Okay. And fortunately, it it sounds like it's very restrictive, uh, and depending, I guess, on what you eat, it may feel that way, but there really are a lot of other very hypoallergenic foods you can eat for a few weeks uh, so that it's doable. But uh, wheat, dairy, corn, soy, and eggs would round out the top five.
1: I could not agree with you more. This is great, great advice. So everyone try to remove those from your diet up to three weeks and uh, see how you feel. Uh, So we're going to go to break now. We have one more break. If you'll all just hang tight. And uh, Dr. Darren, we'll be right back. We'll be back with Dr. Darren Ingalls, health and wellness expert and um, author of the upcoming book, The Lyme Solution. Can't wait to talk to you more about that as well. Our community's really big into learning about Lyme disease. Um, So everybody hang tight, and we will be back shortly.
0: KSVY Sonoma
1: All right, and we are back, everyone. You're listening to Body Talk Radio. I'm Heather Morgan, Nutrition Healthy Living Coach, joined today by Dr. Darren Ingalls. Welcome back to the show. Great, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so this has been incredibly informative, and when our community really appreciates you being here with us. Uh, so we we've been talking about food allergies and food intolerances as obstacles in losing weight, and um, we've identified what those are, what the signs and symptoms are, and how to do an at home um, basically elimination test to see if you are if you are sensitive to these foods. And 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 Dr. Darren, you did such a great job explaining. W- how this happens and and why it is that we can become uh weight loss resistance and and actually as you as you mentioned uh, in you know, um, insulin resistant as well. We're eating foods that our body is intolerant to or sensitive to. So, really great information. We really appreciate it. I want to continue the conversation a little bit where we left off, though. Um, we talked a little bit about how to do the uh, the elimination diet and how to remove those those five foods. So, those are the top foods that are you know typically that people are most intolerant to. And you mentioned, and I think it's so important, and I totally agree that if 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 they're foods that you are heavily craving it's likely they it likely may be foods that you're intolerant to and you want to be sure to try a period of time without them to see how you feel it's super powerful
0: right exactly
1: super great and then um i wanted to just take some time was there anything else though before we move on that you wanted to talk about in relation to weight loss weight loss intolerance um and 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 foods that we eat,
0: Well, I think the one thing I would just add is you know if you've tried the elimination diet and you didn't feel like it really made much of a difference, uh, I wouldn't stop there. I would you know work with a practitioner who might be able to do something a little bit more advanced, uh, more specific, uh, because there still may be a food that bothers you that you just it just didn't happen to be one of the top five. Uh, so you know, sure, feel free to you know reach out to your local practitioner and uh, find someone who has expertise in uh, other types of testing methodologies that might be able, again, to help figure out what's bothering you, because I've just seen so many people that have worked sometimes with you know, one practitioner or tried one method, didn't really seem to make much of a difference, and then we found, but through a different method, it really made a huge difference, and it just, whatever they had done hadn't quite picked up on the food that they were sensitive to, so you know, there's so many different reasons your body can react to food, and sometimes you have to try a few different ways to really figure out what's going on. So don't, Great point. don't throw in the towel if you just do an elimination diet and you don't feel fantastic yet. You may have to dig a little bit deeper to figure out what's going on.
1: Well, that's a fantastic point. And also, too, eliminating foods is not always easy, especially if you don't have the knowledge. And that's where I think you're right. Having the guidance of a professional is is helpful and important because there are so many ways that, that foods are hidden. And if we're, you know, it, it, for example, if you're trying to remove gluten and you're out there and you, you put a, you know, you go somewhere and put a sauce, you know, on your, on your food and you think you're eating gluten free, but soy sauce is a good example. Not everybody realizes right. that there's typically gluten in, in soy. So, you know, people may think they're eliminating the foods, but they, they aren't. So I'd say being under the guidance of a professional that can give a list and really guide and make sure that they watch your diet and what you're eating is a, is a really good idea.
0: Yeah, and I just want to share very briefly, uh, one of my patients, just to give an example of how profound food reactions can be in terms of losing weight. Great. I had a patient who was in her late 30s, uh, very physically active, uh, type A personality, and as far as we can tell, was eating a very healthy diet, exercise four to five days a week, aerobics, weights, all the kind of things we tell people to do. Right. And once she eliminated her food sensitivities, and for her particularly, it tend to be these nightshade foods, so tomato, potato, eggplant, peppers.
1: Oh, we haven't when even she talked got about away that. From
0: that <laughs> she lost fifty-five pounds in six months.
1: Oh my heavens! That's a that's an amazing example.
0: Yeah, And she didn't really change anything else out of her life. It's just, it, by eating those foods, she was so inflamed. And she did complain that she always felt puffy and her feet, hands were swollen, her feet were swollen. You know, she could feel that inflammation. And once she really started to stay away from those food sensitivities, and we ended up desensitizing her, yeah, she lost 55 pounds and, I mean, just looked like a completely different woman by the time we got Incredible. done. So, she's That's... kind of my best example of, you know, how food uh, reactions can affect, you know, weight and the inability to lose weight. So, um, I, I'm
1: so glad you shared that. And and that is true and I've seen that in my own practice as well and it's so hard to explain to people but it's absolutely true. If you're continually consuming foods that you're highly sensitive to, it's going to be nearly impossible to lose weight and you're probably going to continue to gain.
0: Yeah, and I'd say, you know, for your listeners, the the one group of people I see this is most relevant is the middle-aged woman who goes to spinning class every day, and she can't lose that last 5 to 10 pounds. Right. That seems to be that target group that responds beautifully to food elimination. Right. Uh, so uh, if you're in that group and you've been struggling to lose weight, <laughs> I would definitely look closer <laughs> into these it's food It's probably
1: reactions. something you're consuming. And I'm glad you brought up the nightshades because that's, that's one we hadn't talked about, but that is a fairly common one as well.
0: Yeah, extremely common in my practice. I Mm -hmm. mean, probably 70%, 75% of people, if they have food sensitivities, those nightshades tend to Mm -hmm. come up quite frequently, so it's it's very common. And they kind of go
1: hand-in-hand, don't they, with, you know, the other food sensitivities?
0: Yeah, I think they're as common as some of the top five I Mm -hmm. just listed. The one thing I find with the nightshades is there's definitely a disposition towards connective tissue problems, so arthritis and skin issues specifically and gut issues. Yes. Tend to be very, very common with night mm-hmm. shift sensitivity.
1: Fantastic! Great, 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 great. Really appreciate that. So, uh, Doctor Darren, can you also tell us do you do you work remotely? So, if any of our listeners are listening in and they'd like to explore this with you, is there a, is there do you work remotely or are you just uh, brick and mortar in your area? No,
0: I, I definitely work remotely. You know, our, the, fortunately the climate has changed. We live in 2017, where <laughs> we live in a digital age, and this is actually pretty easy, particularly great. when it comes to diet and nutritional things. So, Excellent. Absolutely, yeah. I, I work remotely with. A lot of patients.
1: yeah this is what this is one that that works I'm sure lends very very well to uh, working remotely so yeah I just want those I want our, our listeners to know how to reach you if they are interested in exploring this a little bit further can you just uh, share again the best way to reach you
0: yeah so a uh, website is uh, Darren if you want to check out the website I actually have two practices one in Connecticut one in California uh, my Connecticut office number is two zero three two five four. 254 9957 and my California office which is in Irvine, California that's Orange County is 949-551-8751. But if you go to my website I have both practices listed and you can get all the information there.
1: Fantastic. You know, I, this 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 is not this right here what we're talking about food allergies, food sensitivities. Fortunately, this is not, you know, this isn't rocket science. This is something that can really make a difference in someone's lives. And, and the gut heals itself fairly fairly rapidly, correct?
0: Yeah, you know, our, the cells in your intestinal tract have one of the highest turnovers of any cell in your body. So the fortunate thing is even when it's damaged and it's leaky, it really has a great capacity to heal itself. Heal itself if we just mm-hmm. give it the right tools, right? If you're constantly putting something in that's triggering that inflammation even if you're taking supplements and other things to heal your gut, it's going to be harder for that stuff to work. So we really Mm -hmm. want to remove that cause that's triggering the reaction in the first place, let the gut heal, and then again we can start putting the foods back in and then the tolerance is just much, much better.
1: I've seen it change lives. It's I've seen it change lives for so many people. I mean, people who have full-blown autoimmune conditions, you know, um, rheumatoid arthritis, all kinds of issues that they really believe and have heard from, say, their doctors that it just can't be helped. But the truth is, when you manage this particular condition that that we're speaking of today, it really, really can make a difference in so many levels.
0: Well, you know, Andrew Weil once told me, he says, if you really want bad nutrition advice, ask a doctor, because they don't know the first thing (laughs) about it. It's true, and they're the first to
1: admit it, (laughs) that they don't get training.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, it's just important that you're working with, you know, uh, a nutritionist, a naturopathic doctor, functional medicine doctor, someone who really does understand nutrition in a a much, much more deeper way, uh, and how it's affecting your health, because that's where you're going to start getting good answers. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: No, this is fantastic and so, so very important. For So for all of you out there who is listening today, you can hear the recording of this live show on the, on the podcast. So just make sure you're on my VIP listener list. Uh, you can get on the VIP listener list just by going to the website, which is bodytalkradio.com. Make sure you get on that VIP listener list because every single week we'll be emailing you letting you know who the expert is for the following week, the upcoming week, as well as giving you the link to the podcast from the week, be- the week before. So if you want us to send Dr. Darren Ingle's podcast to you right to your inbox, make sure you're on my VIP listener list, because this is great information, and this is information that could be life-changing to you and to your family. And speaking of family, Dr. Darren, is this hereditary?
0: Uh, I believe so, because I've, I've yep. been able to test three generations of family, and I can see how the sensitivities kind of pass down from one generation mm-hmm. to the next. Mm-hmm. So I think to a certain degree, uh, a lot of what people are experiencing does have a genetic disposition.
1: I could not agree more. I see it myself as well as with all the the various doctors that I work with uh, tend to believe the same thing. So that's something else to think about, you know, when you're and, and, and what is more important than what you're putting in your body and how it affects you? Because, you know, and I always say every time you eat or drink, you're either feeding disease or fighting it one or the other and based on the food choices and the foods that you're putting in your body it really is going to be one or the other so what's more important than understanding what foods work for you and then take turning around and looking at your family and saying hmm likely it's going to be similar foods so let's all get this under control together and I've seen I've seen families you know lose weight together just by understanding this concept